Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now, here is Pastor Brent Coulter. If you are a follower of Christ and you have never been water baptized as an adult, I encourage you to sign up for water baptism. Um, If you got baptized or dedicated or christened, or whatever name you might want to give it as a child, but that's fantastic. That's something that your parents did, but then this is something that you would choose as an adult. Uh, Jesus gave us two physical things um, in the scriptures to continue to do, and these are physical things uh, that don't actually save us anymore. They just are physical things that teach us of a spiritual truth. And when we get water baptized, we are going public with our faith. We're saying, yes, I follow Jesus. And I know sometimes people are a little bit nervous about getting baptized for a lot of different reasons, or they think, you know, um, I follow Jesus, but my life isn't perfect right now, and I'm not perfect right now. I just want to let you know that that will be true for the rest of your life. Um, But the idea is when you get water baptized, you are saying that you need a Savior. That's the point of getting water baptized, and you're telling the story that when you go under the water that you're dying with Christ, and the idea is that your sins are washed away, you are telling the story that your sins are washed away, and when you come up out of the water, you are risen to new life in Christ, telling the story that that has already happened. So if you have never been water baptized, please sign up um, after service at Connect Bar. We would be honored to partner with you uh, in that experience. It'd be fantastic. All right, so let's turn our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. 11, we are launching a, a brand new series today called Intersection. And really what we're looking at in this series is uh, when the divine intersects with humanity, what happens? And what's great in the scriptures, we have a bunch of experiences like that that teach us um, what it's like when the divine shows up. When the divine shows up in our lives, what it means and what would happen afterwards. Uh, we have a bunch of stories in the scripture uh, over and over again about God showing up um, in someone's life at a specific time in a certain context, knowing details about their lives, a, a certain set of circumstance uh, that we can all identify with these stories. And then it helps us to understand, to know when God does show up in our life and he starts speaking to us, what does it actually sound like? And the more we are familiar with the stories, of the scripture, it can help us to understand that for our own personal circumstances. So just this idea of intersection, we know great things happen um, when certain things intersect. Uh, This month in Toronto, uh, the city of Toronto is going to intersect with some playoffs, both in the NHL and the NBA, and we just want to keep it going all the way to June. And we know when Toronto intersects with some playoffs, there's going to be some exciting times. There's going to be some exciting television, right, babe? She doesn't care. Um, But we know, for those of us that are sports fans, this is going to be wild. It's going to be wild inside the ACC. It's going to be wild outside of the ACC. Why? Because Toronto has intersected with the playoffs, people. It's going to be good. We want to just keep it going forward. And who knows what could happen 2018 Is there any homers out there? Is anybody cheer for the Toronto teams, people? Not Montreal, nobody cares. Toronto, okay? (laughs) So great things happen when certain things intersect. And this is the idea of this this series. When the divine intersects with our humanity, uh, it's obviously a tremendous blessing and under, uh, helps us in so many different ways. So let's just read here in Hebrews chapter 11. This whole chapter 
is just a bunch of stories relating to things that happened in the Old Testament, about a bunch of men and women uh, that God intersected with their lives and what happened. And just the first part of this chapter reads like this. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So this idea that we're supposed to be living and walking by faith, and these people in the Old Testament, these people in the Scripture that walked with God, they lived a life of faith, that they had this um, way that they just put their trust in God. And once again, when we think about faith, it doesn't mean that we're uh, believing in nothing or we're just sort of taking a whimsical view of life, that they actually had understanding about who God is and what He said to them, and then they acted upon that, and that would be the same thing for us. But then it says in verse 2, it says, this is what the ancients or the people of old were commended for when they put their faith in or they put their trust in God beyond just believing that God exists, but this idea of God specifically showing up in the middle of your life, saying something, and then us moving forward after that. And this is what this uh, series is all about when God intersects with our lives. So when we look at these stories, we have a great retrospective of things that happened in people's lives. That they, As we read these stories in the Scriptures, it's not like they were writing them down in real time. They actually got to look back at the events of their life. They can, they can look back at the things that God was speaking to them, and then they can see the results of God speaking to them. So we get a great view of understanding what the divine intersects with humanity. And then sometimes as we um, look at these stories, we want to move beyond the idea of something that just I would desire, but what does God desire for me? When God shows up in my life and He has desires, that He has plans for my life, what does that look like? And then how does God speak that out in our lives? And then as we look at these stories, we're going to see actions and accomplishments for people. And that's that would be a great way to think about life, that God wants us to act, that God actually wants us to accomplish something with our lives, just not believe something, but that we would actually accomplish something. And then as we look at these stories, we can think, look at things to avoid, things to do, and then attitudes that we can emulate. And the last great thing that I would say before we get into today's topic, as we look at these stories, and this is what's great about the Scripture, that the Scripture is not propaganda, meaning as we look at these stories of these individuals, it's not like a puff piece on them trying to buoy them up and saying, see how amazing they are. What's great about the Scriptures is that we get to see their humanity. In other words, we get to see all of the issues of their lives, all of the dysfunction of who they are, not just saying, hey, you know, Moses was perfect. You can never live up to who, know, know who Moses is. Well, you know, Moses was a murderer. We, it's not a propaganda piece. And when we look at somebody like Abraham, that we know that Abraham was a human. He lied. He struggled with a, with a bunch of different things. So as we look at these stories, that we can be encouraged that the people that we're looking at in the Scripture, they're not a different type of human being. They weren't superhumans. They were people just like you and me, that they had issues, we have issues. But God shows up in the middle of all of that and says something to us, intersects with our lives, and then is wanting to move our lives forward. So today, we're going to look at a story um, uh, by the name, uh, a guy named Gideon. So let's turn to Judges chapter 6. Now, before the time of kings in the Old Testament, Israel was led by a group of judges, a succession of men and women who were judges. Um, and then we see 
some great things happen, some really interesting things happen in, in the book of Judges over and over again that we see about Israel, that they ended up serving other gods, and then they made a bunch of stupid decisions, and then they got in trouble, and then God would save them out of their trouble, and then they would go good for a little bit of while, and they, then they would make a bunch of more stupid decisions, and they would serve other gods, and then God would save them, and then we see this pattern over and over again in the book of Judges. But we see some great um, insight into God showing up in the middle of Gideon's life in the set of a very specific set of circumstances, and then what it looked like for them, and then what God um, said to Gideon. And it's definitely going to help us this morning. Now, as I was preparing this message, uh, I knew for sure that there were some specific people coming this morning. I don't know exactly who it is, but I, I know God wants to minister some things to you today. Now, there's, there are going to be some great principles in here for all of us, um, but I know that God is speaking to some people, and that specifically in first service, too, I had some people come up afterwards and say, man, that was just for me, and so I'm expecting the same uh, for this service. So let's read here um, in Judges chapter 6. Well, let me just set it up a little bit more. Now, in this time of Israel, they were just, this is one of these times they were in a really bad spot. And what was happening to them, that there were some nations and tribes surrounding them that were basically just stealing from them. So anytime that Israel would get some food together and some things like that, they would, they would, and some supplies, these other nations would come in and basically like bully them and steal their lunch money. And so over and over again, you know, they were struggling and it's not like there was a grocery store that they could go to. They had to grow their own food. And anytime they were growing their own food, these other nations would come in and steal their food. So they were just in a really bad spot. They were in a really difficult set of circumstances. And this thing just happened, kept on happening, happening to them over and over again. And we can see that God shows up in the middle of these circumstances. Verse 11 of Judges 6 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under uh, the terebinth at Ophrah, not Oprah, but Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abysrite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of, the, of Midian. And the Lord turned and said to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. So here we have Israel and Gideon in this really bad, difficult spot. And one of the things that we see right off the bat is that Gideon is hiding. It says he's uh, beating out the wheat in the wide press to hide it from the Midianites. Why? Because anytime they have food, the Midianites steal their food. So Gideon is in this really fearful spot. And you don't um, thresh wheat in the wine press. You're supposed to make wine in the wine press. And so Gideon is there and he's hiding and he's trying to be very secretive. Why? Because he's just living a life of fear. And so God shows up in the middle of this circumstance, that the, uh, that the divine personality shows up in the middle of Gideon's humanity. And what is Gideon? He's just afraid. He's living a fearful life, and he has good reason to live a fearful life. Uh, everybody's taking their food all of the time. So Gideon is in this spot. He's just uh, threshing out the wheat, and God shows up in the middle of this circumstance. 
And then what does God say? Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Mm, not really. He's not really a mighty man of valor. He's scared. He's hiding out. He's not making some bold statement like, we're going to produce food and you're not going to take it. He's like hiding it. He's trying to do it secretively so the food won't get taken. And God shows up to Gideon and he says to him, oh, mighty man of valor. And this is the one thing that, this is the first thing that we want to look at this morning, that God is always, when he shows up and he intersects with our humanity, that God is always calling to our potential. God is always calling to our future. God is always wanting to move us forward in life. When divinity intersects with humanity, this is what it sounds like. And this is a great way also to help us to understand the voice of God. What does the voice of God sound like in our life? Well, it's never like go backwards. It's never quit. But it does sound like this. In the middle of somebody who's actually afraid who has no courage, God is saying to him, actually, you are a person of courage. That God is trying to move Gideon from one place to another. Here you're in this fearful spot. You're fearful. The whole nation is fearful. But I have something to say to you, Gideon, about your future. And so he calls him. He says, uh, you are a mighty man of valor. Verse 13, and Gideon said to him, uh, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever found yourself asking this question? You know, we talk about, you know, God is with us. It's something we hear at church all the time. You're going to hear it again today. And if we think, well, if God is with us, then why this? If God is uh, on the inside of me by his presence, then why do all of these things happen to me? Now, here's something I've said before, and I'm going to say it again because I think it's very important, that to waste your time on the question why is a waste of time. Well, why this? Why that? Why did this happen? Why did they do that? Why did this thing happen to me? Why this? Why the other? Because here's the, here's the reality. Even if you get an answer, even if God opened up the heavens and said, here is the reason why this happened you still need a what now. You still need something to do, even if you understood all of the reasons why. You still need to act. You still need to move. So really, ultimately, why doesn't matter in the long run. But what now does? What am I supposed to do now? And what is God moving me towards now? And in this moment, in this time where Gideon is expressly fearful, God shows up and says, uh, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, okay, great. Uh, but why is all this stuff happening to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14. Now listen, God kind of ignores the why question. And he said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian do not I send you. So God takes it up a notch. You know, Gideon's kind of feeling sorry for us. Look at all these things that have happened to me, God. Sort of falling into self-pity. And self-pity is one of the worst places to be in. 
feeling sorry for yourself about this, that, and the other. And then God doesn't just, oh, yeah, you know what, just give up. Don't worry about it. Your life is harder than everybody else's. You've delineated all these reasons why you've got it harder and this has gone on. Yeah, you know, just, I'm just kidding about the valor thing. Never mind. God actually takes it up a notch. He says, not just you. I actually want you to save your whole country. You're a mighty man of valor, but for a purpose, for a reason. You're actually going to do something in your nation. Ignores the why question completely. You're a mighty man of valor. You are something, but then you are something for a reason, Gideon. Calling out to something that's on the inside of him, and it's deep down on the inside of him because he is afraid. He has a real sense of fear. And this is the way also that we would think about when divinity intersects with our humanity that our, our goals and purpose in life does actually have to move beyond ourselves. Just our own needs being met and just our own happiness and just our own satisfaction, that actually God wants to do something in and then through us for others. And this is what God is showing up to a scared Gideon, hiding himself away. You're a mighty man of valor, and then I actually want you to do something for your nation. And when we, we, when we think about this story, that in a sense, God is showing up in the middle of food preparation. In other words, God might show up in your kitchen, people. When you're making dinner, you know, we think, man, God's going to show up at church this Sunday. But I think according to this story, God's just going to show up, you know, maybe when you're cutting some vegetables. God will show up in the monotony of life. And he will be speaking things to your heart. And he will be calling out to your potential. Calling out to who he's created you to be and then what he wants you to do. Showing up in the big moments. You know, we think sometimes this God's going to show up in, the, in these very spectacular ways. But then in the middle of food preparation... God is showing up in Gideon's life. And see, sometimes we miss the voice of God because we're looking for something spectacular to happen. But that God is always speaking to us. God is always calling out to our potential. So let's continue reading here Gideon's response. Verse 15. Um, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So he comes up with some more excuses. He's like, you know, mighty man of valor, <laughs> nice try. Um, but why is all these things happening? And he says, yeah, but you're going to do something for your whole nation. But he says, you know, he's kind of like, God, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm the weakest, and we're the weakest. Why are you talking to me? See, and this is what happens to us a lot of times. We exclude ourselves based on a set of circumstances. Here, this circumstance, this thing, this situation, I'm the weakest. Find somebody else, God. 
But you know, God isn't just looking for somebody else. He's actually looking for you. God is showing up in your life for a reason, for a purpose. And then sometimes we try to excuse ourselves. You know, God, do somebody else, God, not just, not me, not me. I think you got the wrong, I think you got your lines crossed, God, you know, like famous preachers or something, or somebody famous, not me. I'm the weakest and we're the smallest. But then God, once again, just reiterates his plan. God speaks over our doubt. Here's my doubt. Here's my reasons. Here's my excuses. And then God says again what he says. How many know that God is not going to change his mind based on what we say? You know, the scripture says that his word is forever settled in heaven. Who God has created you to be is forever settled. You're not going to be able to change God's mind based on something that has happened to you, based on a set of circumstances, based on an opinion of yourself that you're too weak, that you're too small, that you can't. This has happened to me. Why has all of this gone on? That God will continue to say to you what he's already said to you. Because he's trying to move us into this place that, he's ha- that he has for us. He's trying to move us to a place of obedience. So he says these same things over and over again to us. So the story continues, and, and then Gideon starts to take a few steps. He starts to get over his fear a little bit. He goes in, uh, and he tears down an altar to a false god. There was a, an altar to Baal, and so he goes, but he goes at night because he's a little bit nervous. He's not fully over his fear. He's like, I'm, I'm going to take some action here, and, but I'm going to go at night so nobody sees me. Tears down the altar of Baal, puts up an altar to God. And then he's still not exactly sure that God is calling him. So the story goes, you know, he puts out a fleece and he's like, God, if, you, if you, this is really you, if you really want me to do this, have the, the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry and all these, he does this, this test two different times. He's really trying to confirm that this is the will of God for his life. So we go through this whole press. I said each time, each step of the way, he's moving away from his fear and he's moving in to who God has called him to be. And then they put a call out uh, to all, the, to all the, the, the nation, and they're like, we're going to fight a battle against the Midianites. And so 30, 32,000 people show up to fight the battle against Midian. And then God's like, you know, there's, there's too many to fight the battle. You need to tell everybody to go home who's scared. Because fear is a really big big deal right now in Israel, that everybody's afraid that their food is going to get taken. So there's these 32,000 people there. Gideon stands up and said, everybody who's afraid, go home. 22,000 people went home. I mean, that's a big part of your army, right? This is kind of an issue. Everybody's afraid. See, and this is what fear can do. It can just become contagious. And then we just get so used to living in fear that we just end up doing nothing day after day, week after week, month after month. If you're afraid, go home. It's like, okay, I'm going home. They're not actually thinking about what they're doing. So they have 10,000 left, and then God has one more test. They're like, no, there's still too many. And he has like this water drinking thing, and it ends up just being 300 people left to fight the battle. These are not great odds. 
but God gives them the perfect strategy. And so they go uh, and, and at nighttime and everybody, all these 300, these 300 guys, they all have torches and they cover the torch with a pot. And at a certain time, they're, they're surrounded, the, the Midianite army, and they all break their torches and they yell something. And then the Midianite army don't know how many people are up there and don't know if there are people invading the camps. And so they end up turning on each other. And Israel experiences this great victory based on the strategy that God gave to Gideon. And then we see here in Judges chapter 7, verse 23, it says, And then the men of Israel were called out from the Naphtali and from the Asher and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. They pursued after Midian. So the beginning of the story is that Gideon is hiding away in the wine press. The end of the story, all of these guys are pursuing after the enemy. They're not afraid anymore. And this is what God does and God wants to do in our lives. God wants us to move out from being afraid because there's great things that can happen in our lives when we stop being afraid. But the struggle is sometimes it's the first step. I, I don't know what the first step is because I, I don't know five years down the road. And, you know, if I make this decision, then what's going to happen? And I, because I, you know, I don't have guaranteed outcomes. Don't we want guaranteed outcomes? So if I know it's going to end up like this, then I'll take action. And I, if I know that it's going to turn out for me like this in five years, I'll take a step. No, the scripture says that God orders our steps. He doesn't order our leaps and bounds. He wants us to take that first step out of fear, moving ourselves out of fear. See, God doesn't tell us the whole plan on the first day. Because if God showed up, he's like, okay, here's what's going to happen, Gideon. Uh, like you and 300 other guys, don't worry about the numbers right now. You and 300 other guys, you're going to defeat the whole Midianite army. Gideon would still be in the wine press. He'd be like, I'm good, God. That sounds great, but I, I don't need any of that. See, and we, we don't know the end a lot of times because you don't know the end because you're not God. I'm not God. And when we don't know the end, sometimes fear can sit on us and hold us back and then we just don't do anything. But this is the result that we want in our life. And this is the result that God wants for us in our lives. He wants us to move from the wine press to pursuing the enemy. Pursuing life. Not just sitting around scared. See, and sometimes we have good reason to be scared. Things have happened to us. Tragic things have happened to us. People have been super mean to us. People have turned on us. Things haven't gone well. Business deals have gone sideways. And then when all of these things happen, we just kind of find ourselves in the wine press hiding from life. Because it's just really hard. Life is really hard sometimes. But when divinity 
intersects with our scared humanity, God wants to move us out of the wine press. God wants to move us out of that fearful place so that we find ourselves one day down the road pursuing the thing that we could even, couldn't even imagine a few years ago. So scared to do this, so scared to do that, I, I can't even talk to this person. Nervous about that, nervous about this income, so I just don't do anything. But God shows up and he says something to Gideon about who he's called him to be. And then we see Gideon pursuing after the enemy. See, the question is really never, is God speaking to me? Because I could have a conversation with you right now, and you would know some things that you're thinking about. But then sometimes we would, following up that would be, ah, but here's why I'm not doing it. This is too hard. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm not enough this. I'm not sure about that. I'm not educated enough. And this, I tried it once and it didn't work. And then we just end up sounding like Gideon in the story. So God is speaking to us. The question is, are we responding? Are we choosing to put faith in God's Word? Or are we choosing just to be fearful individuals? Giving ascendancy to this idea of afraid. I am just afraid. Believing that more than what God says to us. See, there's always a choice. There's always a choice to put our trust in God or just to be afraid. And stay in the wine press. It's not doing anything because it's just hard. And there's so many people against me and there's so many things against me. But God then continues to speak. See, we don't want to let fear dominate us. We should desire for the Word of God to dominate us. And this is always a choice. This is always a choice that we have in the middle of these feelings. Because listen, feelings of fear are real. I'm not denying what it feels like to be afraid. I know exactly what it feels like to be afraid. I know what it's like to, to sit up at night and to think about six different situations, none of which you have a solution for. And this, I don't know what to do with this, and then I'm not sure what to do with this relationship, and I'm not sure what to do with this problem, and I'm not sure how we're going to pay this bill. And in that moment, that's all that you have. You just have these real feelings of fear. But even in the middle of those feelings, God always wants us to choose His Word, His thoughts about us, more than what the circumstances dictate to us. Because the circumstances will always dictate fear. The circumstances will always say you can't. The circumstances will always say, hey, look at your past. <laughs> Forget it. You've made too many mistakes. You aren't good enough. Just stop trying to stay in the wine press. But God doesn't want us to live a life of fear. The Scripture tells us that we don't have the spirit of fear. So what is the choice for us? God wants us to choose faith over fear. Let's read some verses here that Jesus talks about this idea in Matthew chapter 10. 
Verse 28, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are one, are, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, this word fear here is used two different ways in these verses. That we could be afraid of people, we could be afraid of circumstances. But then it's telling us to fear God. Okay, wait a minute. Do you want me to be afraid? Do you not want me to be afraid? I, I, I can't figure it out. And when we think about the word fear, it really just means reverence. Am I going to reverence the circumstances? Am I going to reverence my opposition? Or am I going to give reverence to the word of God? This is the point of what Jesus is saying here, that I'm actually going to honor what God is saying about me. Not what the circumstances say, not what my past has said, not what my enemies are saying. I'm going to reverence what God says. Why? Because he's got the hairs of my head numbered. That he knows about the birds, and so he knows about you. See, when we think about fearful circumstances, we, we need to think about it like you ever seen a, like a little child that maybe they, they see like a dog or there's a scary dog or something, and then their parents is somewhere in the distance. And what does that child do? The child runs behind the leg of the parent, holds on to the parent's leg with one hand, and then with the other hand reaches out. I'm not so afraid anymore because I'm with mom or I'm with dad. And this is the way we need to think about life. The things that are too scary for us to handle on our own. I'm not going on my own. I'm holding on to God's leg. And then I don't have to be afraid anymore. Even when everything says I should be afraid. When all the past history says I should be afraid. When all the times I've tried or so-and-so has tried and it hasn't worked out, oh, I should be afraid. No, I'm going to hold on to God's leg and he knows me better than anyone else. And this is the reason why we shouldn't give in to fear. This is why we shouldn't reverence fear. We should reverence God. And what does God say to us in the middle of fear? What does God say to us when he shows up, when we're in the wine press? What does he tell us? What's laying dormant on the inside of you? What have I already spoken to you about? You actually are more than you think you are. And the best part of the story is that I'm with you. This is what God says to us in the middle of the fear, in the middle when we feel fear the most, in the middle of tears running down my face because I don't know what to do, that I don't have to be afraid because I know that God is with me. And I reverence his word more than I reverence the circumstances, more than I give reverence to my enemies. I know that God is on my side. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
Fear has to do with punishment. One translation says, fear has torment. This is what fear feels like. It comes and it comes and it comes and it comes. But the scripture says, there's no fear in love. Yeah, we're going to feel fear and we're going to experience fear. But the thing we reverence more than that is God's love for me. God's love for you and me is bigger than the thing that we're afraid of. The thing that we think we can't do, but we know we should, because I'm nervous and I don't know what the outcome is going to be. God's love is bigger than that. Perfect love casts out fear, and God has loved you perfectly. God has given you a perfect love in Christ, sacrificed himself for you, died for you. And it's so easy to focus on the other stuff. But the scripture is telling us that we should focus on love, God's love for me. So what does God's love sound like? Psalm 27, we'll finish with this. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? So the scripture is having a conversation with us. God, the divine heavenly father, is having a conversation with us. Uh, Here's who I am. Why are you afraid? Why am I afraid? Because God is my salvation. And we're like, yeah, but God, I'm the weakest. I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many things wrong. God says, I'm your light and your salvation. Yeah, but God this, God that. I don't know that I qualify. I don't know that I'm good enough. And I've been afraid, God. I've been afraid for five years. And it's been a really long time, God. God says again that He is my light and He is my salvation. Who shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Has anyone ever felt like that? It's like there is an all-out war right now in my life. Even in the middle of that, the psalmist says, I will be confident. I'm not confident in the circumstances. The circumstances are going to come and go and change, but my confidence is in God. My confidence is in the fact that God loves me. And he's calling out to me in the wine press. And he says to me, don't be afraid anymore. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. 
Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Bad circumstances, God does something for me. They leave me, but God is always there. They have left you, but God hasn't. God hasn't left you alone. We don't have to be afraid. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. We could all tell stories about that, can't we? Verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. See, in this psalm, once again, this psalm is not a propaganda psalm. It's like, hey, life is really hard. And there's a bunch of things that happen in life that we really are going to feel fear sometimes. But bigger than that is God. More powerful than all the stuff that we should be afraid of is God's love for you. It's stronger, it's bigger, it's more powerful. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I can go from the wine press to pursuing life, not stalled anymore, not held back anymore, but moving forward in life with God. Why? Because of what He says about me and about what He's called me to and what He wants to accomplish through my life. Let's just pray this morning. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.